I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. This episode of Spaces Podcast is supported by Twin Motion, the simple real-time rendering solution to create high-quality imagery, client presentations, and interactive experiences that help communicate your design ideas fast. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Morning, everyone. And you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Jason, we have a guest today. He's an award-winning architect and principal and founder of Austin Fox Architecture in, uh, actually in Fort Lauderdale, I believe, in Florida. Please help me welcome... Austin Fox. Austin, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate the time. Yeah, Austin. So you're actually uh, very busy. You're active on social media, uh, YouTube, uh, Instagram, have your own practice going. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about uh, Austin Fox architecture and uh, what kind of work you do and everything. So Austin Fox Architecture started as a dream when I was 18. I always wanted to have my own firm, do my own thing, and uh, went through school, got my degree, bachelor's in architecture. Then ultimately, right out of school, started taking my tests. Uh, immediately, I didn't want to wait. I uh, got my license, and throughout the whole journey, I was taking side jobs and basically building a clientele. So when I got my license, the transition was uh, pretty seamless, actually. So I've uh, been on my own for now for about 10 months and it's grown exponential. It's just been out of control. Yeah. It's awesome. So I mentioned the social media, YouTube, 
is that, do you think that's part of it or is it something else that has helped you grown quickly? I, I think it's a crucial part of it in any business, whether it's in your construction or architecture to create that like ecosystem. So everything reflects off one another. Instagram clips can be used in YouTube or vice versa, which goes to Twitter and then Facebook. It's all like a ecosystem that everything bounces off one another and they grow from one another. So it's, it's actually very important to not just limit yourself with one, but I think have everything growing at once. Yeah. What has been sort of the most difficult part of managing that ecosystem? <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a struggle to effectively get content out to every single platform, but I've seen success. Like I've tested the waters with everything. So I've tried TikTok, Twitter, uh, being in an architecture related field, it's picture related, right? So yeah. Instagram has been very successful for me as opposed to Twitter where I'm tweeting about projects. So, uh, I emphasize more on the, the things that have worked. So pictures, YouTube, Facebook's actually working as, as pretty good as well. So it's basically finding testing and trial and, and seeing what works or what doesn't work and seeing where the traction picks up. And then you kind of double down on that. Yeah. I believe you have like a, uh, a program that you're doing about business growth, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm starting to expand into the digital product marketplace, uh, to help build the businesses again, building that ecosystem. So uh, I just did an online course, how to basically, how I'm finding clients, how you can find clients in your industry, whether it's cabinetry, construction, architecture, how it's working for me and apply it to your business industry. And then also starting to get into uh, more ebook publishing, just basically sharing the knowledge that I've learned uh, over these years. I've, my parents are both self-made entrepreneurs and they basically taught me a lot of these things. So uh, I've taken them, applied it to my industry, and I'm, I'm seeing what works and what doesn't work. And no one really tells you these practices, what to do, what not to do, when to ask a client for money, when not to ask for a client. Money. So these little things that you would think are such common sense are really not. So as I'm learning them, I figure why not share them and, and pass the knowledge on. So now you're in Florida. We were chatting a little bit before off, off mic. Um, I saw you had posted something on, I think it was on Instagram, your stories, and you were going through a situation with uh, FEMA on a project mm -hmm. that you were working on, I think in Miami. Yeah, we're doing a project in a little bit north Fort Lauderdale. Uh, it's north of Fort Lauderdale. And down here in Miami, we deal with flood elevations, a lot of water, because in Florida, we're, we're always flooding down here. So <laughs> we're doing a four-story project, and the elevation of the ground floor last minute had to be raised three feet. So now when you're yeah. thinking, you know, a single family house, three feet is not too much, just bring more dirt, but you're now adding three feet to a 44,000 square foot building. It's Holy not just, cow. yeah, it's not just uh, add more walls. It's, it, it changes the dynamic, everything, structural engineering, yeah. uh, the dynamic loads of the foundation, costs go up. So uh, it's, it's a factor that we deal with down here in Florida a lot. I don't know if you guys have seen recently in New York, the floodings and the subways and stuff like yeah. that. It's it, water is not our friend. So, <laughs> and, and anything. So we're, we're trying to get away from it. So yeah, we had to raise the building three feet and uh, look, it could have been worse. Could have been worse after the building starts to get made and a code change happens. So the best thing I like to go for in, in architecture is avoid surprises as much as we can. Yeah. Surprises cost money. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> Surprises cost lots of money. Yeah, for sure. We had a guest on earlier this season that talked about kind of the dramatic nature of the flooding there in Florida. 
Mm -hmm. And I think there was like record floods for some several days or something like that. Is that, can you speak a little bit to that? Is that what you're seeing? Mm -hmm. You're seeing it a lot in Miami and in Fort Lauderdale, the, 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 the water levels are raising to a point where it's changing the dynamic of architecture that if you go to the West coast, let's say like Fort Myers of Florida, the first level cannot be habitable. Wow. Everything is raised to a certain level because of this flooding issue. So uh, I, you, you'll start to see more and more of that into practice, especially Miami, because uh, their drain system just can't keep up with the rising water levels. And it's just a matter of time before you're going to see some serious, serious changes. Jeez. Are you looking at practicing elsewhere, moving elsewhere, or you can kind of hunker down and adapt I'm all for expanding into different markets. I think it's, uh, as, as we've seen with COVID, we realize that what we can do with the internet is quite amazing. So uh, I, I do some work in New Orleans. I do some work in Georgia. So it's really cool to see how the internet's allowed us to do this. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it. I think, it's, I think it's important to expand out as well because let's say the markets down here in Florida start to uh, diminish. I think you should be able to adapt and let's say go to Alabama or California. Well, I got to take a test for you guys, but... <laughs> You get the idea. I think it's yeah. it's not it's good to have a basis, but expand on that again. Expand the ecosystem, clientele. Don't don't limit yourself just to one market area. Yeah. So when you're dealing with uh, that flooding environment, what mm-hmm. um, what are some things that that you have to keep in mind going into a project like that? Places that you have to search for um, information of where the flood lines are or things mm-hmm. like that. So the first thing you do is when you get a project like that and in a flood zone is to figure out what's the minimum elevation of the floor slab. So let's say the minimum elevation from the floor is 10 feet. I always recommend to my builders, clients and everybody to exceed that by roughly six inches. You always want to do a little bit more than the minimum if you obviously costs are a factor, but uh, you then want to find you want to talk to your civil engineer. You want to talk to your structural engineer. What's the soil report going to look like? You basically want to get a full analysis of what we're dealing with. Again, avoid the surprises because surprises will cost money. So see what the soil conditions are. How bad is the water damage? Uh, what's the foundation going to look like? We got to do piles, vibro float, uh, or can we get a, can we get away with slab on grade? Because remember, we're building these buildings for the next 40, 50, 60 years. It's not just yeah. This is not a five year investment. This is for the years to advance. So you got to think about if, if we're having some minor issues now, what do you think it's going to be in 10 years? So that's where we, I always push my clients and developers that look, spend a little more money now and you'll, you'll thank me later on. It's the way to go. Do they always take you up on that advice? <laughs> they, do, they do and they don't. So it, it's, it's kind of like a takeoff. I tell them like, pick your poison. You know, you can get, you can go, you can get a cheaper toilet. I'm, I'm cool with a cheaper toilet, cheaper cabinetry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Jason, but uh, sorry. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> cheaper finishes but like uh don't don't second guess the structure especially what happened with the surfside collapse in miami i'm sure you guys are aware when the hotel collapsed yeah. it was a structural defect so it's like I, there's things you could cut corners but don't cut corners in a structure because you'll end up paying twice if not 10 times more in the, in the end or maybe we say not necessarily cutting corners but there's areas where you can spend less money and a exactly less expensive and other places where you need, need to really pump the funds into right Exactly. And structure is, is the same thing I tell everyone is yeah. like, that's the most expensive, but like it's a, you need it. If, if you don't, if you don't pay for a good structure, it, you're, we're wasting our time here. Well, and the other way you look at it too, it's the most expensive to fix. 
<laughs> that is like, true. I mean, that's like, if you look at it, if you're, cause all the buildings are going to degrade to a certain degree, right. Over time, just with everything. So if you want to talk about where the, it's easy to replace a cabinet to do some flooring, mm-hmm. to fix some drywall, maybe some plumbing, not a structure. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And we <laughs> replace roofs like every, yeah. what, 10 years, yeah, a couple exactly. years. So it's like yeah. roof shingles are getting being replaced, but I agree with you. It's re- changing out rebar, repairing concrete is, or is steel is not a good idea. <laughs> Not a good idea. Don't do it. With that hotel in Miami, what um, I know of the story, but I, I haven't seen any details about what exactly that issue was. What was the problem with the structure? So what happened was the, the steel started to rust. They had some pockets forming. It, it was a structural defect. It, it was basically a lack of putting money to where the money needed to be used. Um, so what happened was a structural engineer went out there for this for, for its inspections and they noticed that rebars were starting to show. They saw excessive degrading of the concrete. So the structural engineer went to the HOA and said, hey, look, here's our report. You guys got to fix this. And the HOA unfortunately looked away because the cost for replacing, as you just said, Jason, is, is very expensive to do a concrete restoration on a massive hotel like that. Yeah. But it's necessary. And then when you have a little pocket of air that gets salt water over time, think about it. It's like a drop of water every, you know, it just yeah. eventually starts to eat away at it. So take that for 20 years. And next thing you know, you have a weak point and it actually collapsed from the inside and it just caved in. Wow. Yeah. It wasn't outside in. Normally that's how buildings collapse. Like the exterior wall falls and it kind of sinks or somewhat stands, but it was actually interior in uh it's really unfortunate and it it sucks because it could have been prevented yeah and and now everyone's looking how could this be prevented And now they're looking at all these type of buildings looking at everything and it's uh again it goes back to that water discussion we just had that you got to basically keep water out of the building especially salt water next to the ocean so it's it's unfortunate and uh hopefully never happens to us yeah wow We're going to take a quick break to share a little bit more about our sponsors. Let's talk ArcViz technology. Powered by the near limitless Unreal Engine, our friends at Twinmotion offer a fast and easy way to produce stunning real-time visualizations and immersive experiences for your clients. Twinmotion gives you the tools you need to make faster decisions and relay information to your clients in a way that instantly speaks to them. Breathe life into your scene by changing the season, the weather, the time of day, just by moving a slider, immersing your client in a way that they'll love, and more importantly, be able to truly picture themselves in. Why not share your design with stakeholders in collaborative reviews and edit your scene together? There's no better way to get buy-in than by making your clients feel part of the development process. Right now, they're running an exclusive free trial which you can head to twinmotion.link slash spaces to get your hands on. That's twinmotion.link slash spaces. I wanted to go back to the conversation of like for homes, for example, mm-hmm. and you're, you're having to raise a building. Do you often run like we have it all the time here in Orange County where we have height restrictions, very strict height uh, limitations to prevent blocking someone else's view behind Mm -hmm. you do you guys have to balance that of raising the house while staying out of someone else's view yeah so we we have that um 
same thing here is like uh, when you get to a certain height, it starts to tower in. Yeah. Same thing with the zoning, basically for shadow and light. Um, as you raise the building, you're, it's the same thing. So they'll, let's say if you raise the building three feet, for example, after 22 feet, it has to start towering in. Yeah. So you have to balance the act of all of that. And, and it does raise red flags. I mean, imagine living next door and now all of a sudden you have something blocking your view. You're going to go out there and complain about it. It's yeah. just you want the good views and such. So it's an act of balancing. You don't really see it so much in the single family homes because as, as a, as a homeowner, you can kind of do whatever you want. It's your property. The person next door can complain, but you really can complain so much, but I, I see it a lot in the, like the big developments that we're doing townhouses, apartment buildings, because we have to go through a formal, a formal submittal with the city. Mm-hmm. And then that when we do the formal submittal, the neighborhood is allowed to, voice their opinion and we have to account for it as opposed to a single family home. I want to put whatever's allowed in the code. I can put whatever I want, but if I'm building an apartment building. You can go there and say, I don't want it. Change this, do that. There's more power to it. So it's a different magnitude. Yeah. And I think a lot of those rules, you know, way back when, when it was created that way to where people could weigh in, mm-hmm. it was, it was really under the best of intentions, right. With whoever was saying it's to not piss off. But then what happened was, I think it's just grown in this thing where everybody thinks their opinion matters on how you build and spend your money and do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's become an entirely different beast, right? That gets into like the NIMBY stuff. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. NIMBY. It's almost like egotistical. Yeah. But I mean, it's like people just don't want development. It's not in my backyard is, is what yeah. it stands for. Right. So there's a lot of YIMBYs, you know what I mean? But because we want development, but it became this whole thing where they just lobby consistently because they just literally don't want extra traffic or, it's, you know, those kind of things. It's a lose lose. We, we have yeah. this, we're, we're proposing a townhouse project. We're working on a townhouse project right now. And, the, and the, the neighbors came in we don't want this here. And then we explained it to them, look, this is going to raise the value of your homes. You're going to make yeah. more money from this and it's not going to affect you whatsoever is it really that bad? And it's just like, we don't want it. That's it. That's a hundred percent that way. <laughs> we so don't want I don't, it. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, I'll walk my dog through that, that open <laughs> land. Like that's what matters. Right. <laughs> it's it's, I don't get it, but it, I see it a lot with the, the older generations, the ones yeah. that have been there for like 40, 50 years. This is my land, my property, my area. And it's over here. Like, Hey, I'm trying to, you know, provide a better future for your kids. And they start to, you know, okay. But Still no, <laughs> but no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I had a project years ago where the developer, I, we talked about it on one of our past episodes, uh, I think on custom homes where um, a homeowner was put through the ringer. He had complete right to build a certain way of, uh, of his home. And all of the neighbors complained because it blocked the view of a, a park nearby Wow. That they it was like a bluff and and it slightly blocked the view but it was they still had the view and they, he had it all by right but because he wanted to be a good neighbor he went through this exorbitant process to redesign and have his building basically work upside down where it was just a garage on the top and wow. cascades down this mountainside which added additional cost because he had to terrace down this mountainside all just so he would have a good relationship with his neighbors which is funny because the neighbor's already a prick <laughs> so it's like <laughs> it's a, yeah he's just he's doing it because he wants it's a control thing but it's, it's the question for you is that you're in california we everything down here is flat yeah, yeah i mean like raising a building flat. three feet is like yeah. oh my god we're, which is like great <laughs> for you guys you guys are on like hills and it's like off i mean you deal with this stuff all the time right yeah yeah yeah, it it, get, it can get pretty complex out on the coast primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you really run into issues. 
more inland, you don't necessarily have too many issues like that per se, mm -hmm. but you do still have the um, people that don't want multifamily complexes coming into their anywhere near their single family uh, developments because yeah. of the, the concerns mm -hmm. about traffic increases and people that are. That's the biggest thing is the traffic increase right now. That yeah, you guys uh, have some serious traffic issues. I'm not sure why, but that's uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a whole nother. Yeah, if we keep going on the right trend, more people are leaving every year. So you know, maybe yeah, maybe they're coming down here. Time. I'm getting calls from <laughs> yeah. California and New York. Everyone's Dude, coming down I here. Want, I, I like come on. I mean, that's the place I want to go right now. It's on it's on our list. Get the hell out of this place. Come but, on down, guys. Yeah, no <laughs> joke. There, Texas or Idaho, right? But uh, we got room. Maybe not in Miami, but it's starting to migrate up north. We're getting crammed down in Miami. I'll bet. But no, I mean, what we deal with from a construction side here, I mean, you guys are dealing with the floods and the waters and stuff. We, we're more so, you know, earthquake type stuff. We, we don't have the flooding in the same way. So I can't really speak to the structural portion of that, but it doesn't have anything to do with raising generally. It's a lot more, which is probably underneath on the rollers with the big buildings and, and that type of deal. But the height's more of an issue with our single family as opposed to anything else for sure. Yeah, no issues down here with height, but you guys again earthquakes. I'm sure is a whole nother. It's, it's same thing with just like we're doing with flooding. It's a whole beast of. Uh, I know Demetrius, you probably took your. You had to take your California supplemental exam, right? Yeah. Yeah. Take yeah. your special exam for the Cal. I, it's, I don't know how you guys are doing over there, but you tell we're us a little bit special. about it. <laughs> we're very, we're very special. We have a lot of special cases. <laughs> yeah, there there's a few. I can't remember how many states there are, but we're one of the ones that has an additional exam. The California supplemental exam, in addition to all of our regular uh, architectural registration exams. So, yeah. Too many exams. <laughs> yeah. And it, it doesn't even really necessarily seem to be all that different, per se. I think it's the professional code and then maybe a little bit of a structural difference. Mm -hmm. How much is it to do it? Because <laughs> it might be that part, too. <laughs> yeah. It's extra, like, uh, 200 bucks, I there think, you go. from what I remember. There you go. Something like that. No more exams. I'm done yeah. with that. I'm, <laughs> the books are gone. I'm not I'm done with my exams. I got to do my continuing education and that's it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Austin, for, for your time. For for our guests that want to, or our listeners that want to follow along with you, what's the best place to find you? Uh, best place, Instagram. That's definitely where I'm most active, showcasing everything uh, behind the scenes from project meetings, project site visits, the whole nine yards. Uh, you can check it, obviously check out my website, austinfoxarchitecture.com or through Instagram, Austin M Fox underscore at the end. So cool. that's where you find me. All right. Thank you so much, Austin. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate it for having me guys. Uh, thanks for the insight on the California stuff too. It's uh, it's cool to see what's going on in other parts. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Jason, for joining me. Thank you to the listeners for listening. We'll talk again next week. Thanks. Thanks guys. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors. By checking them out and supporting them, you help us keep this show going. Thank you to Twin Motion for their support of this podcast episode. Don't forget to visit twinmotion.link slash spaces today and try Twin Motion for free. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend 
and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.